sent a direct message to a friend of mine that you'll like because he said the Dodgers are not ta- more talented than the Rays and the uh, Giants have fewer bad hitters. Where okay. your, your, your contention always is the Rays have no business being in the playoffs. Everyone <laughs> is more talented than the Rays. That is not the question. Talent-wise, everybody is better than that team. But somehow they keep winning? there's is... witchcraft involved <laughs> and the Rays win. Like, I love analytics. I don't even think what the Rays are doing in analytics. I think it's just a bunch of crap. I don't know what's happening over there. There's some analytics involved, but I don't know how they're this good. Are they good analytically? Yes, they're very, they're very good. That's why they can. You should love them. I, sh- I should, but I also appreciate teams that try to win by you know getting good players and winning. It's all, yeah, it's fun to watch good players. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, I don't know. He he's he's Mr. Baseball. He goes, "You're wrong. The Rays are more talented, and San Francisco has fewer bad hitters." Which. Okay, I don't really, you know. Wait, who's a bad hitter for the Dodgers? I don't Bellinger? know. Bellinger. There's well, one yeah, bad yeah. hitter on Belly the team. The bomb, the, uh, and that guy won an MVP. Yeah. I don't know. I was uh, I was paying attention uh, on the open because I had to email him back because I was so mad at him. Might as well go with the first bite. You should be mad at him. <laughs> the first bite. Is today Ed's birthday? Happy birthday. Thank you, buddy. Thank you. Thank to, thanks to both of you. Yeah, I really appreciate it. I got weird stuff <laughs> dancing in the hallway. Uh, I didn't like that. That was weird. Um, so yeah, I, I don't. Your your on. gift was yesterday's open. You know, where we didn't make oh, fun of the Dodgers. Oh, that's right. That's right. You actually, I, I I didn't know what you were doing yesterday with the positive Dodger highlights. Maybe uh, that was it. They won a playoff game. It's not really anything it, to make fun of. It's right there at the gift where the son last night FaceTimes the mom and was going to give me a bunch of gear and stuff. She's like, no, nah, don't do that. He's like, okay, and he brought me a piece of cheesecake. <laughs> so, Like from the fridge? No, he actually bought it. <laughs> okay. No, he actually bought it, but he went from, I'm going to buy this guy a bunch of nice clothes, and she said no, and he walks in last night from work, he goes, happy birthday, Dad, and he threw the cheesecake on the thing. I'm like, hey, thanks, T. Where is it from? Cheesecake Factory. Is it good? I only had a couple bites. Oh. Did you save the rest of it to eat no, today? No, he ate it. Oh, <laughs> In fact, he kind of got his he got his he got his favorite kind of like I don't know if I've eaten that, that kind before. <laughs> so yeah, it's it's a it's a big big day at the house. Okay, hold on. Did he did he eat it first and then give you the leftovers, no. or he let you eat no. it and then and then he was like, "You done with that? You yeah. done with that?" He bought an entire cheesecake and he brought <laughs> home yeah a slice and then went, "You done with yeah. that?" He brought a slice. He watched me eat a cup of bites. I said, no, I'm going to have a cup of bites. This is pretty uh, rich stuff. And I'm like, well, we'll you know, we'll put it in the refrigerator and save it for your mom or whatever. I go to my office. I do something. I come back. He's just scarfing it down. I'm like, hey, happy birthday. <laughs> ah, he's a good kid. <laughs> Does he work at the Cheesecake Factory? No. No, he, <laughs> okay. he, no, he teaches SAT and ACT kids. He teaches them how to write. Okay. But, but I, I just I, I think it would be great if he was yeah. just like, he was just like, here I bought yeah. this. I mean, technically I mean, it was getting thrown away. At the yeah, end exactly. of the technically they give me one one piece a night, and uh, this is yours. So yeah, big deal. And then the daughter last night, don't look at Amazon. I've clicked for you. She's far nicer in terms of that stuff. Oh, sounds no, nice. she'll also. Like, what's yeah. your credit card number? Exactly. Well, I didn't even think of that because my <laughs> credit card number is the one we click on. So maybe she's not as nice as I thought she was. But it'll be a more profound uh, present than uh, the wait. Did cake. she not go through? Her mother to be like, should I get this for? No, her? she's far more. She she's just independent. She just, she just does stuff. It. No, okay. she's independent. Okay. She doesn't. Uh, she doesn't do stuff like that. Okay. Just a programming note: We are supposed to be out at the Shriners <laughs> Open today, but there's not very good weather, and we were going to be outside. So yeah, and I, I mean, 
having you guys hooked up to electricity in, in a rain and rainstorm doesn't seem like the best birthday present. Although I do think our tent we would have been under would have been about the same cover as SoFi Stadium. That's true. We would have had to delay the start of the show for 30 minutes while yeah. we just sat there. Yeah. The, the, Press box. Transition. Was our on-site producer there? Did he make it? Yeah, Mateo was there. Yeah, Mateo was there. Because the the call I got this morning was, Mateo's out there, but it's rainy and windy, so it's probably not a good idea. Mateo called in the weather report. Yeah, it's probably not a good idea to do the show. So, yeah, we're here instead of out at uh, TPC Summerlin. But, Shriners open still this week. Are they going to start on time today? Probably delay it? I think think they just delay off lightning. They'll play it. They'll play through rain. They'll play through rain. They don't get lightning here. No. Not like SoFi we Stadium. I mean, yeah, like this days week. Ago. I know, but like we did. Yeah, yeah. like two or three I days was. ago when I was driving into work. Yeah, I saw some lightning, like repeated lightning. Yeah, it's kind of strange. Where I was. That's like we never see. I never see lightning here. Well, what you want to be doing while you're playing golf, or while <laughs> lightning is going on, is be is holding yes, a holding big metal <laughs> stick yes, in the yes, air. Yes. That's the golf when they do lightning. I'm running off the course. <laughs> I'm getting the heck out of there. I'm pushing my caddy. That's <laughs> yes, exactly. So we got the Raiders and Bears on Sunday. Here's a question for you. We've we've hit on this a little bit throughout the week, but you basically have two very bad offensive lines in this game. Uh, the Bears and the Raiders. If you go by pro football focus ranks, they both have one player ranked inside the top 30 by pro football focus offensive line ranks. Uh, both of their left tackles, Colton Miller for the Raiders, Jason Peters for the Bears. Outside of that, both teams are trotting out four bad offensive linemen. And both teams have a pretty good pass rush. You have uh, Khalil Mack and Robert Quinn in Chicago. Yannick Ngakwe and Max Crosby, who have been very good this year uh, for the Raiders. I I think this might be an ugly game for the offensive lines. Like, I think this yeah. is going to be... This game might be decided by who has more strip sacks. I think the Bears, who lead the so league... So, Bears by 14? Well, I think the Bears, who lead the league in sacks, have a better chance to get to Carr... Than the Raiders you do. do. I do. I think they have a really Fields good... holds onto the ball forever. Yeah, I it's, think they have a good It leads to some big line. plays, but also leads to some very yeah. bad plays for the Bears. They have a really good pass rush. 15 sacks already. Yeah. They're pretty good. And as we think we know from reports, Alex Leatherwood has moved inside and uh Brandon Parker has will be the right tackle. So is anyone looking forward to Khalil Mack taking a Raiders lineman and throwing them into Carr. Because that's my well, favorite type of sack. I mean, you listen to Derek Carr and Khalil Mack. They're like the greatest friends ever. I don't think that matters to Khalil Mack this weekend. No. He hasn't practiced the last two days. Rib and foot injuries, but and we'll see what the designation is today. He hasn't been on the field all week, but he did kind of he did play last week, kind of gutted it out. What if he doesn't play? I can't believe the first time against the Raiders, not in London, that he won't try to go. <laughs> He's got to. He has to try as yeah. hard as he can to get yeah. to get out there. He does just be no fun if he's not out there. No. No Khalil no. Mack? Come on. What if there's no Khalil Mack and they, they stayed with Andy Dalton? I don't know if we would have even shown up at that point. Oh, yeah. We're not that would have been a disaster. No. no. Raiders that. win. Just write, yeah. just write the story. Get yeah, the box score. Be. Fill in the points. <laughs> get the yeah. box score and put in yeah. the points. And then you're good. Uh, you don't have to cover it. Car was X of X. <laughs> yeah. Just, <laughs> for hell, X don't yards. even put in the yard. Just, just publish it like that. Yeah, don't even exactly. put in the numbers. You don't even have to just, put in the numbers. Yeah. X of X. Raiders win. Yeah, we're all good. The editor, are you going to fill in these X's? It's not worth nah. it. Nah. <laughs> Andy Dalton. No one's going to read it. That's fine. Exactly. So do you think the Raiders reshuffling their offensive line is going to help? Um, Alex Otherwood is apparently moving to right guard. Brandon Parker is stepping in to start at right tackle. 
Like, do you think this makes a difference? Is the Raiders offensive line going to be better this week or at some point in the future because of this move? Well, I don't think it's going to be better this weekend because you said it yesterday. It's one thing to move Alex Leatherman inside already as, as a first round pick that you're already kind of admitting this hasn't worked to this point. But I think being lost in this is how good really is Brandon Parker? Yeah. Like, it's one thing about, okay, Alex Leatherwood, everyone's talking about him. Everyone asked Greg Olson yesterday at the, at the press conference, the offensive line coach. And look, Greg Olson said what he should say as the offensive coordinator. He's versatile. We knew it when we drafted him. He played some guard at Alabama. I get all that. They're not going to sit there and, and rip the kid. I, I, I totally get that. But not enough people to me are talking about kind of the weaknesses of Brandon Parker. And that's a pretty... Uh, with that Chicago defensive line, that is a pretty important position. Yeah, there's been nothing in Brandon Parker's career to suggest he's going to be an upgrade over Alex Leatherwood at right tackle. No. There's nothing at all. Now, maybe they think Alex Leatherwood is going to be a better guard than uh, Elmanor. And if that's the case, and you get, if Alex, listen, if Alex Leatherwood is a good guard, then they've made the offensive line better, even if right tackle still sucks. They've made the offensive line better if they get good guard play out of Alex Leatherwood. But. I don't know that we've seen anything that really suggests Leatherwood's going to be good at guard. Like, eh, sure, he's versatile, but is can you really call it versatile if you're that bad at tackle and you have to move to guard because you've been that bad at tackle? Well, you had the ratings yesterday, and Colton Miller's been the best. But I'll go out on a very short limb here and say uh, uh, Leatherwood is not going to have a higher rating than Elamore has at guard. Uh he wasn't awful, right? Was he in the 40s? Uh, he is uh, the second best offensive lineman for the Raiders. Right. Um, at least by pro football focus grades behind Colton Miller yes. so far this year. Coming in as the 49th guard out of 75 this year. Okay. People say that's not great, but when you're considering the, the source of the Raiders, it's actually pretty good. Yes, because John Simpson is 67th yeah. out of 75. Andre James, the center, is 33rd out of 33. And Alex Leatherwood is the yeah. 73rd best tackle out of 73. So him moving inside, I don't know if that's going to be an upgrade. No, I don't have any expectation that it will be. Like, not much at all. Because... Element Ors has been okay. Probably their second best offensive right. lineman this year, which isn't saying much, but no, but if I'm that guy this week, I'm like, what's happening here at practice? Why is that guy inside? <laughs> like I read pro football wait. focus. I'm 49th. Wait, I'm out of the starting lineup. <laughs> exactly. Did you see what Bosa did to him? <laughs> yeah. Bosa didn't do that to me. So it's, I have low expectations that it actually helps anything, but I will say from the Raiders standpoint, I don't mind them trying and changing this because it, the first four weeks hasn't been good. Like they haven't had a good offensive line. It can't really get much worse than it has been. So I don't mind them trying things. I don't know that this fixes it, but I don't mind them trying things. Why I, haven't they tried then? And someone said yesterday, they don't want to try too much at once because then it's really admitting you have a major problem. Why haven't they tried Nick Martin? I don't know. I, I don't. I, I don't get that. If you're really going for the best line possible, don't worry about people. What the people look. If they worried about what people on the outside said about their draft picks and how they've done <laughs> drafting, then they might never draft again. So don't worry about what people think Please and draft differently. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And I don't know why you haven't tried Nick Martin over Andre James at this point. Yeah, it's. I hope that's not the reason. I mean, that would be silly for them to worry about what people think. So. Okay, I mean, you're going, moving Leatherwood because he's versatile. You think he has to make a change? Has Andre James played well enough to where you're like, hey, we also have a guy who's made 73 NFL starts? I mean, going off the idea of them caring about what people think or not wanting to make a, you too know, many changes, a change that they get criticized for, they got rid of one of the best centers in the NFL and 
talked up Andre James a lot this offseason. Well, that could and, be it then. Right. And basically, that might be a level of, uh-oh, we traded away one of the best centers yeah. in the league, and now the one we thought that was going to be fine has been terrible, and we can't admit defeat yet. But at the same time, they are kind of admitting defeat with Leatherwood by moving him to guard. Not that, like, Alex Leatherwood's career is over and he'll never be a good tackle no. in the NFL, but... You draft a right tackle in the first round, start him at right tackle in the first four weeks of the season, and then move him, you're kind of admitting that that was uh, at least a four-week bust, right? right. It, again, got plenty of time to actually be a good offensive lineman, a good offensive tackle, but through four weeks, that's been a bust. Coming up next, the Astros are going to win the World Series. Want to be part of the show? Call the Press Box voicemail and let us know. 702-720-4678 and leave your opinion. 2-2. And Alvarez hits it in the air pretty well and pretty deep to right center field. Robert is going back at the wall. Looking up. See you later! Into the Astros bullpen for Alvarez. And the Astros lead is 6 to nothing. Life wasn't too pleasant last year without Yordan. I didn't even really know what I had. I think he came back for two games, and the one game, the first at bat, he had a homer. And I was envisioning what it was going to be like to have him back. And then he got hurt and was out the rest of the rest of the year. So I'm very thankful to have him back. We're back to the Press Box Morning Show with Ed Graney and Tyler Bischoff. Be part of the conversation on the Finley Kia text line at 69187. Finley Kia, come see a Kia on West Sahara. Are you ready to put up with me when the Astros go on a unbeaten run through the playoffs? I picked them to go to the World Series. But that, that's not the same as putting up with me. Yeah. Well, I mean, I've lived through oh, this. Oh, you're saying you're not going to lose a game? Unbeaten. Oh, you lose a game to Tampa just nope. to just to piss you off. You'll probably lose today, honestly. But I mean, <laughs> we're throwing a lefty against the team that hits lefties better than anybody in baseball. <laughs> so probably gonna lose today. Dusty's got a feeling. Uh but here's a here's a fun stat from yesterday. The Houston Astros in the regular season led all of baseball hitting against fastballs. As a team, the Astros hit 290 against fastballs. Lance Lynn, the White Sox pitcher, threw 76 pitches yesterday. 74 were fastballs. It's that LaRusse scouting yeah. report. Yeah. Now, that is all Lance Lynn does. He has three different fastballs, and those are the only three pitches he throws. He does, he, that's normal for him. He normally has starts where he throws 90-plus percent of his pitches as fastballs. But the Astros absolutely rocked him. I mean, and, and it's because they hit fastballs better than anybody, and Lance Lynn only throws fastballs. So... Good job by the White Sox. Thanks for throwing Lance Lynn out there. We'll take it. Wasn't the very win. close. It was like when well, the first first score I saw was like five oh. I'm like, oh, it's over. Yeah, it was three nothing in the third after the third, and then the Astros yeah, put a couple more was... on and kind of ran away with it. I will complain about Dusty Baker because in a this six is a Doc Roberts thing right a here. A six nothing game, he used his best two relievers in the yeah. eighth and the ninth. Like, what are we doing there? Both through twenty? Yeah, and both sucked. Both can't both couldn't get anybody out. <laughs> they both sucked. So now like they play today at eleven AM. Yes. And the two best relief, like the Astros bullpen is more spent than the White Sox. You'll be going directly home. Yes, I will be driving home right after this to watch the to Astros watch the play because it's at 11 a.m., which, again, doesn't bother me too much because no. I don't have a real job. But people that have a real job, <laughs> that's like if you live in Houston today, they played at three o'clock in Houston yesterday, one o'clock today in Houston. Like the, these are work days. Yeah, people people have with real jobs, jobs are not good. Yeah, this isn't this isn't good for them. Like it's brutal. It's brutal scheduling. Um, by the way, how's the Astros fan base comparative to when they won the World Series? Like, have they 
softened at all or no? Is it still crazy? There? Oh, it's still crazy. It is. It's still crazy. Okay. Yeah. I mean, they didn't sell out yesterday because the game was at three o'clock in the afternoon, but they they were over forty thousand fans. Yesterday. My sister lives in Houston. Her sons are incredible Astro fans. One can't make it today. He has COVID. They have put him upstairs in the quarantine room of the house. So they can go? No, they're not Astro fans. Their sons are. Um, He's doing well. He's doing well. No symptoms. But anyway, he's a young kid, strong kid. Uh, But, yeah, they are crazy. I wondered about that, like the town, uh, how long, you know, they've stayed with them uh, over over the course since winning the World Series. So, obviously, you're saying it's crazy. Did you? Okay. There's a story in The Athletic where um, they talked to Paul Wall who's a Houston Astros fan from Houston. And Paul Wall got married in 2005, which was when the Astros went to their first World Series. And they got he got married the day after game one. And they were supposed to go on their honeymoon. And he canceled their honeymoon because he had to watch the World Series. And his quote was, my wife was pissed. She was like, we could be in Jamaica right now. I'm like, no, you can't watch the game in Jamaica. It might not be on their TV. Well, that's you with a, an issue coming up yourself about weddings and, and big sporting events. You wouldn't. You, you, you would. If you, that was you that year given, you probably knew they were going to have to go to the World Series. You wouldn't have uh, scheduled something that important during that married, time. Yeah, don't get married during the World Series. Yeah. I won't, even if the Astros are bad, I won't schedule my wedding during the World Series. Even if it's the White Sox and Brewers? Yeah. I, won't sc- I mean, well, that's the thing. You don't know who it's going to be ahead of time. But also, we've talked about this. It's the fall. You cannot get married in the fall. It's It should be against the law to get married in the mm. fall in the United States. I'm good. I got married in May. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Perfect. That's the Fall wedding should be illegal. It's football season. What, what are you doing, people? So, Paul Wall, don't get don't plan your wedding for October. Still November. married though, so Still she didn't, married. She didn't yeah, get that mad. Stuck at around. Him. She probably went to Jamaica herself, which probably had a better time. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Do you want to go? Then go. I'm well, not I, stopping I told you. I told my wife, have a hell of a time. Go on, get to Jamaica. <laughs> By the way, I I should be doing this more often, but I do want to tell you, the Dodger fan, thank you for Jordan Alvarez. Yeah, I know. I saw this on here. Yeah, so he had a home run and a double last night. He is. Probably going to be the Astros' best hitter for the next five years. And the Astros got him from the Dodgers in 2017 for Josh Fields, a reliever. Uh, And if you're unaware, Josh Fields pitched in the World Series against the Astros, did not get an out, gave up uh, two runs and three hits. There's no way I remember that, dude. Well, you gave up one of the best young hitters in baseball. (laughs) Exactly. For him. No, I I, I know Alvarez, but the other guy, I'm like, there's no chance I remember that guy. And he he stunk anyway. Yeah. So... Thanks for Jordan Alvarez. 61 home runs and 23, 233 regular season yep. games. It's pretty great. Yeah. He's basically breaking all the Astros records for like first to 50 home runs, most home runs in your first 100 games, all that stupid stats and stuff like that. He's basically been the best Astros hitter since like Lance Berkman was a rookie. It's <laughs> basically what he is. It's phenomenal. He's unbelievable. We gave him up for Josh Fields. Josh Fields. Yep. And if I remember correctly, it's because the Dodgers didn't know what position to put him at because he's big. He's not that quick, right? The Astros DH him most of the time, but they put they put him in left field for about 40, 50 games this year. So Dodgers couldn't figure out where awful? to put him. No, he's fine in the outfield now. Yeah. Okay, well, he's had, and the other problem, he has had two knee, knee surgeries in the last two years. And he's like 24. So what you're telling me is they could have moved Betts to center, Pollock to right, and had this guy in the Bum Bellinger wouldn't have had the to play The Bum Bellinger. Wouldn't have had Get to play the Bum Bellinger yeah, out of there. Out of, he they could have. Yeah, you could have. Yeah. Stuck him in left uh, field. Hello. 
the Astros have tried him out at first base in spring training. He's apparently not very good, but it's first base. Whatever. Just learn to scoop a ball every now and then, and you'll be fine. <laughs> That's it. It's first base. You'll be fine. Figure it out. So, yeah. Thanks for Jordan Alvarez. He's really good. Um, also, and my continued complaints about the Rays. They won again. <sighs> Randy Rosarina. I can't. Randy Rosarina has hit 11 postseason home runs in 19 games, which is absurd. That's and absurd. then it's even more absurd. The the all-time record for postseason home runs belongs to Manny Ramirez, who's hit 29. Randy Rosarina's played in one postseason plus one game, and he's at 11 already. Like, he's going to break Manny Ramirez's <laughs> record, like, next year. He's, he's going to do he's it. He's still pretty far away. Right, he's, he's but he's going to do it, like, away. next year. <laughs> he hit 10 last year. If he hits another six or seven this year... Like the Rays are probably going to win this series and they're going to be in the ALCS. They're going to they're going to play here, you know, 8 9 10 games in the postseason probably at a minimum. He's going to hit a couple of more and the Rays are apparently never going to go away. He's going to be in the postseason again. And then eventually he's going to be worth like 100 million dollars and some real team is going to pick him up that maybe never makes the playoffs. Maybe that's the only hope is that he ends up getting paid a bunch of money by, like, the Mets, and they don't make the playoffs. The more you talk, the more it drives you nuts. Oh, my. He stole home just, last night. It's just like... It the, just drives you nuts. The guy's the greatest postseason good. player ever, and he's not, this good. he's not even that good in the regular season. What will happen if they beat the Astros? <sighs> I'll, I'll be very... I'll be visibly annoyed. I was annoyed last year, but I'll, be, I'll just be very annoyed. Very upset by it. Because, again, I'm fully convinced... Fully convinced the Astros are better. Like, I don't even think it's close. They're better than this team, and they can't do it. All right. Coming up next, Austin Gale will join the show. We are going to have some tickets to give away to the Golden Knights season opener against the Seattle Kraken a little bit later in the show. Also, in about 15 minutes or so, we're going to have a chance for you to win $500. All you got to do is pick the winner of three NFL games. That's it. And you could walk out of here with 500 bucks. Is Tyler a know-it-all? Can you prove him wrong? Tweet at Bischoff underscore Tyler and at Ed Graney. Um. Gino walks up to the line, points out the linebacker, steps back into the shotgun on first and ten. Here comes the blitz. The throw. Metcalf reaches up. He's got it. Touchdown, Seahawks. We're back to the Press Box Morning Show with Ed Graney and Tyler Bischoff. Joining us now from Pro Football Focus is Austin Gale. All right, Austin, Geno Smith is better than blank many quarterbacks, starting quarterbacks in the NFL. Small sample size, but I'd argue <laughs> he's better than most of the rookies right now. And I think the, you know, the broadcasting team did a good job of like, hey, like this guy's been in the league for a long time. He understands his role. If having to, you know, if he's starting, things have gone bad. All he needs to do is keep this offense on schedule. And he did that. That 98-yard touchdown drive I thought was truly impressive. But can you count on him to be a legitimate starter and put together a full, you know, 60, 70-play game plan? I, I would not. I would argue no. I mean, he's not exactly as Russell Wilson. doesn't have the arm talent as Russell Wilson. Can he keep the offense on schedule? Yes. But I wouldn't say this defense is enough for them to be winning long-term, say Russell Wilson is out. Yeah, is my next question. How long can they do this? Not long. I don't think it's going to be long. I think you saw Pete Carroll after the game say Russell Wilson's one of the greatest healers of all time and not going to put a timeline <laughs> on when he comes back. But I think any game that you know Geno Smith is starting, the Seahawks are going to be underdogs, regardless of whether they're at home or not. He's got magic bubbles. <laughs> yeah. I hope so. He's better than magic bubbles because they need him back in a hurry. He's got, yeah. How do you guys grade his, uh, what, he had that special <laughs> water to help him get over a concussion or whatever he said. You guys got grades for that? <laughs> We don't have grades for that yet. We haven't <laughs> tested the water technically, but if we can get some film on it, see how he's drinking it, see how it's made, I think we can make a play. 
Uh, all right. We got the Bears and Raiders this weekend. Uh, oh, let me do it this way. Who has the worst offensive line? Oh, man, that is tough. I mean, now that you have Alex Leatherwood getting kicked inside the guard, Brandon Parker potentially starting at right tackle, you're getting to a point where it is going toe-to-toe. I would argue that I think the Bears is still worse, but it's not. It's very, very close. And I do think that the problem is, is that the Raiders have been battling so many injuries. Incognito, Lemonuar, it's all been a really tough go. The, the thing is, I think the Raiders might be better just because their left tackle is better. You know, Colt Miller is one of three players at left tackle that hasn't allowed a sack this season. He's been stupidly impressive. One of the last first-round picks that the Raiders made before the Mike Mayock era. If totally healthy, wouldn't uh, Eleanor have a right to be pissed that they're actually moving Leatherwood inside because he's actually been better than Leatherwood at all places? Probably. I, I think if he was healthy, they'd keep Alex Leatherwood at right tackle. Now, Alex Leatherwood does have the lowest P- PFF pass blocking grade we've ever seen from a rookie <laughs> offensive tackle since 2006. So it's, it's, it's tough. But like, And so many people, I think this is a good conversation. Alex Leatherwood has, from a grading standpoint, been the worst right tackle as a rookie through weeks one through four, PFF has ever seen. We've been doing this since 2006. Now, he is the guy that was a project listed. You know, the Athletics, Dane Brugler, had him listed as a guard, didn't even expect him to play tackle in the NFL. He can improve. But the problem is, is it's going to take time. You know, offensive linemen, as we've seen with Colt Miller, take time to develop. Will Alex Leatherwood play better in year two and year three? Absolutely. Will he ever reach this feeling of being worth that first-round pick? It's all signs pointing to no right now. We've had similar conversations about like a Cleveland Furl or other players the Raiders have overdrafted in the first round. From outside, just like the value standpoint and the Raiders not putting together a good roster, it's almost like Mayock and Gruden keep putting these guys in horrible spots by overdrafting in the first round and then expecting them to produce like they are a first round pick. And then when they don't, everybody looks and says, oh, Alex Leatherwood sucks. Whereas if he was taken in the early third round, we probably wouldn't view it the same way. 1,000%. I'm so glad you brought that up. Alex Leatherwood is not going to be a bust. Mike Mayock is the bust. You overdrafted a player that was a consensus day two pick. They did the same with Cleveland Furl. They did the same with Damon Arnett. And when you have complete disregard for what the media or other sources are telling you about a specific player with the consensus boards and the data we have access to, you're going to end up in a situation where you're consistently reaching on players. That's exactly what the Raiders have done. They made Henry Ruggs the first receiver off the board. He's played a lot better this season, but would you rather have CeeDee Lamb? Would you rather have Justin Jefferson? Would you rather have Jerry Judy? I think all the answers would be yes. That is the problem. The Raiders are not factoring in the consensus view of these players when they are drafting. I mean, it's why Cleveland Furl, Damon Arnett, I'd argue Josh Jacobs included, Jonathan Abram included, were all overdrafted from where they were. Now you set these first-round expectations for day two players, sometimes day three players if you factor in Jonathan Abram, especially now moving him from safety to linebacker, district, you know, com- continuing to pull down the positional value. I mean, Josh Jacobs, too, battling injuries, is averaging less than four yards per carry in his career. This has been a very difficult situation. My colleague, Eric Eager, works here at PFF. He, he puts it best. John Gruden is not a great cook, but he's not a great grocery shopper. What he's bringing into the table here has not been successful. It's a great way to put it. Is there, you said Jacobs, we know Arnett's been a bust so far, uh, Edwards is getting better. Is there any chance in a few years you can come back and say they've been, they were closer on the Khalil Mack trade than people thought, or in your mind, will it always be a complete heist by the Bears? So I think it wasn't, it's not a complete heist for the Bears. You know, they got the better player, and you could call it a win for Chicago. From a process standpoint, it was a complete heist for the Raiders, getting what they did in first-round picks, 
and avoiding that monster contract put them in a position to grocery shop for a you know Super Bowl competitive roster. The problem is, is they got into the store and completely busted right. what they got from that trade. That's the problem. So the results are obviously in favor of Chicago. They're the only team that got a competent player out of that trade. The process, it's it winning favorably in favor for the Las Vegas Raiders in that trade. Grabbing Josh Jacobs, Damon Arnett, and Jonathan Abram with those picks was just a horrendous use of those resources, as evidenced by Damon Arnett can't find the field unless someone gets hurt. Josh Jacobs is a running back, and Jonathan Abram has been moved from safety to linebacker and still isn't grading exceptionally well for the position. For the game on Sunday, uh, what do you expect in terms of the Bears and how much help they give their offensive line? Like, can they shut, well, maybe not shut down, but can they slow down Crosby and Ngakwe if they leave in tight ends or running backs on every pass play or something to help out fields in that offensive line? I, I think they're going to have to. You saw, so Justin Fields' first start, he was left behind five-man protections, I think, on 60% of his dropbacks, which was obviously a terrible decision against Miles Garrett. And then the second start, he got a lot more help from tight ends, a lot more chipping from running backs, and he had a much more successful game, had some opportunities to hit the deep ball and be accurate there. So I do think it's going to be an improved offense every single week as Justin Fields and Matt Nagy kind of figure out what they want to do with this offense and what caters to Justin Fields' strengths. Now, that doesn't mean the Raiders aren't going to get pressure. I do think regardless of how many chipping you're going to do, I still think Max Crosby, Unique Ngakwe, and their defensive line will get pressure on Justin Fields. And I have more worries on the back end. It's obviously injury hampered. Trayvon Mullen, Damon Arnett, all battling injuries. They're down to you know, a handful of significantly depth players. That is the bigger concern for me, especially going against talented receiver group, Allen Robinson and Darnell Mooney included. Do you buy into at all Lamar Jackson's contention that quarterbacks are not being protected at all? I, I do. I, I don't. I, I do think that you know some quarterbacks are more protected than others. I mean, running quarterbacks are less protected than you know more stable or less mobile quarterbacks. I will say though that it has gotten to the point where any hit to the head on standard dropback passers is getting called, whereas you know consistently running quarterbacks are being treated as runners more often. I like that phrasing, stable quarterbacks, when the opposite of a mobile quarterback is a stable quarterback. I think so. I think I'm gonna. I think locked in the stable is what Mac Jones and Tom Brady, obviously Big Ben, are locked in the stable. Um, okay, is Cordell Patterson this good? No, come on. Can we stop? It's not that good. Okay, this is ridiculous. I know that he's gonna have a big opportunity with Russell Gage and Calvin Ridley out in London, but I think this is a bigger week for Kyle Pitts. I mean, if Kyle Pitts has been used what like forty percent of the time in the slot and thirty percent of the time at outside receiver and the rest of the percentage at inline tight end. He's just not getting targeted enough, in my opinion. I think this week, if any week, he should be the focal point of this offensive game plan. You want to see him really go up against a bad Jaguars defense. They're ranked second to last in EPA per play allowed. This should be a roll week for Atlanta, even if it is in Atlanta. I mean London. He he played uh, missed thirteen games in twenty twenty. We know he says he feels good about coming back this week, but are we starting to see Christian McCaffrey a little too injury-prone here? No. I, I, the running back position is injury-prone. Stop highlighting. You know, we don't have to highlight certain running backs as injury-prone versus not. It's a very difficult position to play when you're getting hit as much as you are and getting touched. You know, you, he has, last year, the highest snap percentage of any running back in the NFL, and then this year he's obviously playing a significant amount, getting a ton of touches. I think the only running back kind of impervious to injury – Impervious to most things is Derrick Henry. You know, other running backs like Dalvin Cook, Christian McCaffrey, all struggling with injuries. Everyone's less than 100%. I wouldn't call him injury prone. I just call the position more injury prone than not. Does Michael Dixon get a bump in his grade when he punts twice on the same play? <laughs> uh, not necessarily. He does not. I do think that uh, the. 
the pass you know, the blocking unit does get a downgrade, but it, I think you might get an upgrade for actually getting that punt off. Yeah, I, was, I mean, listen, I don't know how you guys grade fumble recoveries by punters after their own blocked punt, but I feel like that's got to be an important category. He saved the day. 100%. I mean, this guy saved the, from catastrophe. <laughs> Did you know double punts were allowed now? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Always do double punts for allowed. You can always double punt. <laughs> Well, he is Austin Gale from Pro Football Focus. Austin, as always, we appreciate it. Thanks, Austin. No problem. Appreciate it. Double punts? Boy, if PFF doesn't know this, double punts, oh. we're all in trouble. They, they probably know every rule beyond the referees. All right, here we go. We've got a chance for you to win $500. Five. Thanks to Dollar Loan Center's Friday Football Frenzy. So here we go. We're going to give out three games. If you can pick the winner of those three games, you will win 500 bucks. We're going to take caller number four right now, 702-364-1100, 702-364-1100. Caller number four is going to have a shot at $500. Do you want to schedule a parent-teacher conference after hearing Grainy's grades? Call the Press Box voicemail and let us know, 702-720-4678, and let us know who deserves a higher grade. I've never seen anything like a double punt. You know, that, that was uh, crazy. And then we end up being on the minus 10. I mean, what the hell? My brain doesn't have the, uh, I don't have the brain power to be able to explain it. But basically what happened was because he kicked it still behind the line of scrimmage, they reviewed it in New York. They said his foot was still on the line, so he wasn't totally over the line of scrimmage. So they said he can do that. I said, you can kick the ball twice, huh? Uh, you know, I guess you learn something every night. We're back to the press box with Grady and Bischoff, live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios. It is Dollar Loan Center Friday football frenzy. We try to give away money every Friday during the football season. We give you three games. You just got to pick the winners. No spreads involved, just the winners, and you get 100 bucks. And every time somebody loses, it rolls over to the next week. We haven't had a winner yet. So we're into week five, which means we got $500 on the line and we got Julio. All right, Julio, your first game is in London, Jets and Falcons. I'm taking Cordell Patterson. Oh, there we go. Ah, The Falcons. All right, your next game, Broncos at Steelers. Raiders. I'm taking the Steelers. All right. I'm a Raider at home. And the last game for you, Bills at Chiefs. Yo, Mafia, I might just jump off a, a, off to a table <laughs> after the win. Hey, uh, if you win $500, yes, you need to jump off into a table. All right, so Falcons, yeah. Steelers, and Bills, if they all win, 500 bucks will be yours, Julio. Good luck. All right, cool. Shout out, shout out to the warehouse crew at uh, Legion Stadium. There we go. There we nice. go. All right. Yeah, thanks. So Julio's got a shot at 500 bucks if one of those teams, two of those teams, or all three of those teams lose. We'll have 600, 600 bucks to give away next week. Uh, but Julio is in Jets, Steelers, and Bills as his potential winners there. Falcons. Now, uh, sorry. Yes, yes. I'm sorry, Julio. I almost gave you the wrong pick. Falcons, <laughs> Falcons, Cordero Patterson. Falcons, Steelers, and Bills. Um, so Thursday night football game last night. Uh, first off, Geno Smith came into the game because Russell Wilson broke his finger, did something yeah. to his finger, and Fox kept showing it. Like, we don't need to see Russell Wilson's finger no. pointing in the wrong direction 16 times. It's like when uh, TNT kept showing uh, Shaq's feet. Like, no, stop, please, for God's <laughs> sake. So Russell Wilson had to leave the game, even though he was he was on the sideline trying to throw the football and everything. But I guess he just 
didn't feel like he could grip it and throw it and everything. He'd probably fumble a lot if he was out there. Uh, so we saw Geno Smith. Geno Smith actually led them on back-to-back scoring drives, a touchdown and a field goal, and then had a chance down six to go down the field and win it. But he threw an interception that sealed the game up. Um, Seahawks are in a that, ton of trouble. That interception was not his fault. That's not like the guy was open. Lockett tripped, but it's not like he was open. Geno Smith's 30. Drafted in drafted uh, the second round in 2013. I thought he'd been around longer than that. You thought he was around longer than that? Yeah, I, I really did. <laughs> that seems I, like too long. No, I, I mean, I really did. When I saw Geno Smith, I'm like, man, Geno Smith, he's been around a while. He's still playing. Yeah. Remember when, like, the entire New York media, like, got really, really like, this is just, this is outrageous when they benched Eli Manning for Geno Smith? <laughs> I mean, it was outrageous. Yeah. <laughs> Eli was not good, but this it was for Geno Smith. This can't last long uh, for them, or they'll just take a deep dive. Oh, Seattle's defense has been yeah. horrific Horror, this terrible. year. Well, like one of the worst in the league, and the only chance they have is Russell Wilson being awesome. Woods and, went for one fifty. Yeah, and if if Russell Wilson is if he's out for honest in all seriousness next week, <laughs> if he's out for like two games, that might be enough yeah. to sink the Seahawks because they've already lost a lot of games yeah. this year. Their division is extremely tough. Like Russell Wilson misses like, like more than one game. They're, they're probably done for. They're probably done. The Seattle defense tipped a pass and it literally Cooper cup turned like didn't, wasn't looking at the ball, sees the ball, like <laughs> floating through the air and like, just sort of reacts, grabs it, and ca- like just catches it. Yeah. It was genuinely the most like hot potato thing I've ever <laughs> seen in my life. Yeah. Pass deflection, but it's still caught. Not a great sign for a defense. So, uh, Geno Smith was was demonstrably fine, but their defense is not good enough that their quarterback play can just be fine. Geno Smith won the Jets' starting job over Ryan Fitzpatrick, and then you know, of course, got his jaw broken by his own teammate over two hundred dollars. Yeah. It happens. He's good. Good. No, let's, (laughs) let's not say good. Uh, But all right, let's talk about the double punt here. Did you love that? The rules expert, Mike Piera, he was so wrong. I think Mike Piera, correct me if I'm wrong. Way back in the day, wasn't he the mountain West? He worked with the mountain. Was he? He worked with the mountain West in terms of doing this. Explains a lot. Um, Yes. I'll double check. I'm almost convinced of that. It's, it's no doubt. One of the funniest things I've seen on live TV where Mike Pereira comes on to tell everybody you cannot punt the ball twice. It's like, this is a penalty. And then they're trying to figure out what the penalty is going to be. And then while he's trying to describe what the penalty will be, the ref comes on the mic. There is no flag on the play. <laughs> the ball never crossed the line, the line of, scrimmage. of scrimmage. And Mike Pereira is like, what? I guess there's a rule. And he tries to explain Oof. why he was so wrong. But apparently the rule is as long as the ball never crosses the line of scrimmage, you can kick it again. Which, if it's blocked, it's going to be hard to do that. Unless right. Unless it goes forward, which right. that doesn't usually happen. Yeah, I think it, I think so. I think this factors in field goals and uh, punts. So, like, the uh, idea. Blocks? Yeah, so, like, the idea is, like, if you try to field goal and it gets blocked and somehow goes past the line of scrimmage and comes back to the kicker, he can't then pick it up and punt it down the field. Okay. He'd have to just eat it or try to run for a first down. But, yes, as long as, there, as, long as the ball never crosses the line of scrimmage, you can apparently punt as many times <laughs> as you want. There is actually a um, precedent. The, I believe the Packers had a kicker who got a kick blocked directly back to him, and he ran forty something yards for serious? a touchdown. So, yeah, I mean, hey, get running. That's your time to shine. If you're a punter, you get the punt blocked, and you pick I, it up. That's your time to shine. I would give anything for a field goal to be blocked, but the holder stay in position. 
and the kicker toss it back to the holder, and then he tries to <laughs> kick it again. Forward lateral. Oh, that's right. He's got to get. He's what gotta, if it bounced to him or something? Yeah, he's got to roll it back to him or something. <laughs> yeah, that's going to be tough there. But by the way, Michael Dixon, the punter for the Seahawks. What a play! I mean, okay, let me ask you this: Did Michael Dixon understand, or was he just so chaotic at that point? He goes, "I'm just going to try this." Did he understand? Okay, that there was actually a rule. I am going to give him the benefit of the doubt. Oh, that he is a punter. And he knows the rules. Punters and kickers don't have much to do yeah. except punts and kick. And read the rule book. They need to know every rule that pertains he's, to their position. He's gone through this in his head hundreds yes. of times. When this I, happens, I can punt again. There's only like seven scenarios a punter has to be ready for. So I, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. Seven? I thought yeah. it was like two. I mean, sometimes the Raiders don't have a guy lined up on the, <laughs> yeah. on the gutter. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's and you got to throw it to him. Uh, and sometimes Hunter Renfro's out there, and you got to say, stay away from yes. Hunter Renfro. So I, I, I want to imagine that he, he is fully aware if, hey, if the punt gets blocked and I pick it up, I can punt again and be good to go. Be safe. Everything's okay. Which, okay. Oh, my other complaint about this, the and maybe I shouldn't believe Mike Pereira, but Mike Pereira, the way he was explaining it eventually was that had the ball gone past the line of scrimmage, and then he punted a second time, that then, there would have been a 10-yard penalty from where the punt ended up or a 10-yard penalty and make them punt again, that's bullcrap. Like, the Seahawks, or excuse me, the Rams blocked a punt. They should be rewarded with the blocked punt by getting the ball I somewhere think they there. I should get it where, where it's possessed, right. right? But according to the rules there, if he had punted past that's the line of scrimmage... Rule. It would have just been a 10-yard penalty no. from where the punt ended up. They should get it where they recover right. it. You block the punt. You should be rewarded yes. from that if the other team then breaks the yes. rules. Good play by Michael Dixon, though. He didn't break the rules.